This is the Constructionist Podcast, where we take ancient stories, the person of Jesus, current events and topics, and help you construct a new Christian worldview that's relevant and loving to those around you. I'm your host, Kevin Bates. I'm a semiotician and community builder, looking at the signs of the times to build a better future together. You are tuned in to the Constructionist Podcast, and tonight we are continuing with the topic of our basic existence. And so we desire to, or for you to be able to navigate your life with a framework of a worldview that's relevant and loving to people. That is our desire for you. So we are back in it each and every week uh, for a, a while to do a deep dive into developing a real honest and loving worldview. We're excited to do that. So if you remember from the previous podcast, we are actually borrowing an outline of well, an outline of worldview development from the Belgium atheist philosopher Leo Apostle. And we thought that that was a really good starting platform. And so a worldview is basically a fundamental cognitive orientation. So we think that Leo Apostle did a good job in outlining how to do that, how to come up with a really relevant cognitive orientation of an individual or society encompassing the whole of the individuals or society's knowledge and point of view. So that is our platform. So here's the framework. Well, that's a person and this is the platform. Here's the framework. The explanation of the world. If you think back about three podcasts ago, you will find um, on either YouTube or Facebook or whatever social media channel you listen to or, or watch, go back and listen to the explanation or maybe our explanation of the world. Maybe I should say that, our explanation of the world. And then we talked about heaven or hell. Where the hell are we heading? And, and so our real views of heaven and our real views of hell, or really the biblical views of heaven and the biblical views of hell, not some sensationalized idea or some made up version of heaven or hell. And then we are this week talking about values and ethics again in part two. Part two, or should I say part two? I need to do it that way. Part two is values and answering ethical questions. We only got to two questions the last time. So we really didn't get anywhere with our questions and we need to get back into our questions. So that's what we're going to do. What should we do with, well, basically the framework and and some of the thoughts that we've had so far. So if we're headed to a destination, how does that how does that play out in our everyday life? What do we value on a regular basis and how do our values play out in our life? Then we're talking about a theory of action next. So we have some goals, we have some ideas out there. How are we going to actually attain these? We have a theory of action that we're gonna give. And then a theory of knowledge. So we're gonna talk about tacit knowledge, real knowledge, uh, temporary knowledge, future knowledge, all the all the good stuff when it comes to the idea of a theory of knowledge. And how do we come up with true and false ideas? What do we deem true? What do we deem false? How do we come up with what's true? What's true? We're going to talk about objective truth, subjective truth. Are there is there an absolute truth? We're going to talk about it all. And then we're going to put it all together in the end. So we have several weeks left. 
If you've missed the first couple, go get caught up and then uh, listen to this point forward and you'll be right on time. So this is a six point framework, six point framework that we're going to use to uh, basically build a worldview or at least give a filter in which you can build your own worldview. That's what we really desire. So uh, if you want to act the same, don't listen to this anymore. If you want to just be the same, if you want to just pretend to be the same, just shut this off, go back to your you know, 44 ouncer and turn on some Netflix and just cruise. But I don't want to, I want to be different. I don't want to be the same. And so I want change. I want myself, I want to change myself. I want to be different. I want to approach life with a more loving and honest approach. And so I don't want to make up things. I don't want to be emotionally toyed with anymore. And I think that we've done a lot of that in the last couple of years when in, in our culture. So I want to move forward. And when nothing changes, nothing changes. And so it's time for, you know, this Kevin Bates right here to change. So I need to develop a new worldview in which I can filter through. So this is our thinking space. We call this our thinking space. We hope that you think with us. We hope you answer, ask questions. Um, those of you who will listen later, which I hope more people listen later, uh, then you can answer, ask questions or two, and we hopefully will get to them in the next six months. But anyway, so uh, ask your questions. You can support us financially by going to our website, resonatelife.org and clicking on the give tab. You can, you can give to us that way. But more importantly, we want to in, you to interact with these videos. We want you to listen. We want you to share these with your friends. We want this information out there and we want to engage with you. And that's, that's most important. All right. So we're going to take about 10 minutes to reintroduce this subject. I think last week I talked about this Adam Grant quote, which I, I really like. He talks about passion and values or passion and ethics. And he says, following your passion is a luxury. Following your values is a necessity. So following your passion is really just fickle almost. It's a fickle action, but following your values actually builds a life that will last and be meaningful and actually uh, give you meaning. And I guess a life with meaning is more than a life with without. So passion, I guess, is is temporary, but values um, last a lifetime. I would say, though, that values are built in a certain way. We talked about filters last week, and our and our values are built through our listening filters. So sometimes we have certain filters that are built that I'll call a pipeline of logic, where if you believe that the world is flat no matter what, the world will be flat. When new information gets put into your pipeline of logic, the world will be flat no matter if even information that tells you the world is round, it will still be flat. You know, there's actually people, you know, Sharia, there's actually people that believe that the world is flat. Yeah, there's actually a website that you, yeah, you, there's actually a website you can go to, that, I don't know, flatearth.com, yeah. I'm sure, yeah. Isn't that nuts? yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> but it's a pipeline of logic. People believe the world is that they value like almost like fake news. You know, they value fake news. 
Um, they value sensationalized emotional ploys. They value all that. They value conspiracy theories, all this stuff. It's their pipeline of logic. No matter what truth you tell somebody, it gets bounced around in that pipeline. And your pipeline is your history, your culture, the society you're living in, the values that you hold dear. It's all, it builds this pipeline of logic. What your mom and dad taught you, what your grandparents, cousins, stepmom, stepdads, whatever, taught you. Builds your pipeline of logic. So... You know, some people think things like trans is a myth. Being trans is a myth. I don't know where that comes from, but it's like, are you kidding me? You know, no matter what you tell somebody about society and culture, they still believe certain things are just a myth, you know, that they don't exist. It's not a real thing or something. So they respond to life with that form of view. They respond to life with that form of worldview. And it's... Um, it's difficult to change, but we're going to change ours, right, Jake? We're going to change our worldview starting, well, three, four weeks ago. But anyway, we're going to we're going to start hopefully changing our our worldview. All right. So, how do we build a set of values? Because we have values, and I'm going to name off some values that we did last week too: loyalty, spirituality, humility, compassion, honesty, kindness integrity, selflessness, determination, all those are values, courage, tolerance, trustworthiness, altruism, appreciation, empathy, self-reliance, and attentiveness. All of these are values that we can hold in our life. But there are two, I would say, two, I guess, categories of values. And the first category that I want to talk about is what's called a destination value or a terminal value. And a, and a terminal value or an end value is such things like, um, I, I, would, I would guess, let's see, let me think, integrity, honesty, love, probably most of the things that I, I listed off on this happiness, those are called destination values versus a instrumental value of like health, money, status, and intelligence. So an instrumental value, like you can value intelligence, but that's an instrument that you use to achieve something else versus love, honesty, integrity. That's just what you want for the rest of your life. You want to be those things for the rest of your, or maybe you don't, but you want to be those things for the rest of your, of your life. And those are called termination values versus instrumental values. Both though, both values are reinforced by different things. And our socialization definitely, uh, builds our termination and instrumental values and our socialization in religious institutions our our socialization with our friends and then our personal experiences and our culture in which we live in and our subculture in which we live in i would say our echo chambers our silos that we live in, those build both terminal and instrumental values. So if you, 
Well, like, for example, we mentioned the owner of Patagonia. Now, he had a, a terminal value that he never just really wanted to be wealthy. But he gained wealth. He was a billionaire as of, you know, a couple weeks ago, I guess. Uh, just looking at the news articles at face value and the titles, believing those of what they say. I know there's all kinds of financial instruments that you can use to give away your money and still be rich. Uh, but we're not going to go there. Just on face value, the owner of Patagonia gave his company uh, away, we'll just say it that way, gave it away to climate change. He wants to curb climate change, so he gave his company in a certain fashion and a certain instrument to perpetuate uh, wealth for this cause. So whether that be all I profits and he still gets a pay catch, paycheck, I don't know. But we're not going to talk about that. What what it, what I'm saying is that a person's wealth can be an instrument, but the the terminal value or the end value is generosity. So generosity is a terminal value. Wealth is the instrument. So the Bible teaches that we're to be generous with time, talents, and treasures. So in order to do that, you have to have a job. So the job or I have a work ethic could be a instrumental value for my generosity. So let's just bring it back to, you know, normal people that are not multi-billionaires, uh, that we have jobs and we have a work ethic. We want to do a good job in order to keep our jobs, to get a paycheck so that we can have a terminal value of, of generosity. So maybe we can look at it that way the the two uh different types but they're formed over years and they're determined by situations so somebody let's just talk about wealth somebody that's wealthy has a different set of values than somebody that lives in poverty they have a different set of values this is why poverty is a complex multiple layered challenge but I would say that wealth is a complex, multiple layered challenge as well. So pulling the greens out of somebody's hands, right? Trying to, trying to deal with their wealth, I would say is also a challenge. We're experiencing that today, that just a few people hold our nation's wealth, uh, the majority of the wealth in their fingertips. That is a problem. That is a challenge. I would say that there's different forms and types of challenges, and I have more compassion and empathy towards poverty than I have towards a wealthy few, for sure. But there's multiple challenges to value determination or value complex value systems, and they're expressed in all different kinds of socioeconomic situations that are built over years. It's not just this, hey, I woke up one day and I have a complex set of values. So there was a class that I took years and years ago in some of the ethics classes that it was values reclarification class. That's the segment that we took and I loved it. I loved it. And of course, all the religious people hated it because they thought that their values were static and they had no room to grow.
This is the set of values that I have. And it's like as hard as iron. Their heads were hard as iron too. And honestly, they were just jerks about it, to be honest. And so the values reef clarification was just a, let's just talk about this. Let's just think about this for a moment. So that's what I want to do. I just want to think about this for a second. So we're going to get to those questions here soon, I promise. I won't take up all the time. But how do we identify values? So you can make a list, but really the, the list is what you want to value usually, not what you value. So there is a filter that you can think through. And the best review of your values that you can make is over a period of time. But like exercising, like what do you spend your time doing, both personally and professionally, and discovering what you're hooked on in those things. So what's hooking you back in? And so, you know, workaholism, finding value in, I'm worth something because I work hard. Well, that's a value. You, you believe in hard work. Um, to put so much value in that is, you know, I would say problematic. So how do we change our values? Well, usually we have to have a life crisis to change our values. And I'm hoping that that we've already gone through our life crisis. Maybe COVID was your life crisis. Maybe through COVID, you lost your job, changed jobs, lost marriages, whatever you did. Uh, maybe lost friends because of your political persuasions. That's a big one right now. Maybe you lost your family because of the same thing. I'm hoping that we've gone through a crisis that we can go through a values clarification exercise. So that's where we're at. So let's talk about this for a second. I had some friends, good friends. These are good, good friends. And if they're listening, I love each and every one of you. I had a friend send me this article uh, on this. It was called, I'm just gonna look it right up on the thread. Oh, and I, had, I had some things to say about it. So these people live in the glorious state of, of the Republic of Idaho. And the, the supposedly conservative state of Idaho has been purchasing. This is the title. This is the title. Oh, yes. Yeah, so, excuse me. This is an article from, we're just not going to name the source uh, because it's not necessary. Because it could have come from Fox News, CNN. It could have come from any of them because all of them are doing it. ABC, you know, all of them are doing this. The Babylon Bee, all of them. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. But anyway, so the supposedly conservative state of Idaho has been purchasing a porn, P-O-R-N, like sex on film, right? Porn literacy curriculum for children through its health department. Huh. Okay. So this is the porn literacy curriculum. Okay. So number one, the title, the title in and of itself draws out my conservative Christian right side. It's called a dog whistle. Kinda, it's a dog whistle. It pulls that out where I go, what, what? 
porn literacy curriculum. And I start questioning, see these schools, they're going to hell in a handbasket. And we just start criticizing schools. So first, I need to ask myself this question. Do I value education? That's what I need to ask. That's a value. And if I value education, I'm going to look beyond the title. Because they're naming schools. And I'm like, okay, come on. Like, like, if anything is called porn literacy curriculum, I, I don't think anything would be titled that. Maybe it was. That's like a outlier group that's, you know, living in some, you know, just some city, county, wherever that you know, doesn't know how to title things very well. <laughs> but anyway, let's say it was. But this is what my friend said. Here's the tools that they offer. A graphic novel. Now, number one, you need to know that graphic novels are not poor novels. It's a graphic novel. That's a certain type of literature. So my daughter reads graphic novels. She has a graphic novel. And it's a, is that right, Sherea? Am I getting that right? Yeah, I'm just wondering if the word graphic, like, evokes something mm. that isn't there like erotic graphic yeah like yes. if you don't know that a graphic novel is a comic book only longer then it, <laughs> then it might bring something up right this graphic porn literacy <laughs> curriculum it's it like pull it's it's an emotional pull mm -hmm. right it's like oh right like what are they teaching our kids so this is the title of the graphic novel Wait, what? Question mark. A comic book guide to relationships, bodies, and growing up. Hmm. It kind of sounds like the American Girl comic book that I bought my daughter that like taught her about her body. I thought it was great. I thought it was a great... Anyway, so then it goes on. There's a poster, right? Contraception knows no gender. I hope I hope that contraception is not just for the woman, but that usually is the thing. Well, you just go on the pill, right? Whatever. So anyway, contraception knows no gender. That's the poster. Pamphlet, STD facts. Lesson tool, orientation teaching about identity and attraction. Now that one might be the controversial one for some. So, you know, you're tugging on my conservative Christian right side. <clears throat> that might be the one where I go, mm, don't teach my fifth grader about identity and orientation. I don't want that one. Okay. I, and I hear that. Uh, teaching guide, teaching affirmative consent. Well, my daughter came home, little daughter, uh, kindergarten. And she said, dad, I watched a movie today. I said, what was your movie? And she said, it was called Don't Touch My Body. I'm like, okay, what'd you learn in that? She's like, well, if somebody touched my body, I'm supposed to say, don't touch my body. And then go tell somebody that they touched my body. I'm like, yes, you need to tell me or mom if somebody ever touches your body. And yes, you say, don't touch my body. So I think that, I think that the idea of 
Now, maybe I'm just looking at this in a very immature, superficial way, but I'm just, I'm just reading what's, what's in front of me. And in fifth grade, my daughter was given the opportunity to do organ battle of the books. And one of the books was about a trans boy. And we discussed it. It became right at the, the table, the kitchen table, the dinner table. We started discussing about this transport. How can we approach or have a discussion about, you know, or, or a discussion with a trans person? What's the most loving, caring, compassionate way that we can have be the hands and the feet of Jesus? So we talked about that. We talked about what trans was. We talked about uh, what people... Um, have said about themselves and how it's a personal decision uh, that they're that they're excuse me it is a personal uh, thought that they're having about themselves and so we we talked through that and you know what it has been and a doorway to many many other conversations why because my worldview doesn't shut off my values don't shut off discussions. My values open up the opportunity for love and compassion and empathy because those are my values. So we can talk about all kinds of things at the dinner table, and I'm not afraid to talk about them. And I think that, uh, so you guys have any thoughts about that porn literacy curriculum? It, it does just sound like it's it's to get you riled up. Right. <clears throat> when whenever I'm faced with some things like this where it it feels like I'm trying to be manipulated, I pull out Wikipedia and I Google logical fallacies. Ah. <laughs> and I try to figure out which one is being deployed. Mm. And so the logical fallacy in this article would probably be appeal to emotions. Mm. Especially mm -hmm. bringing kids into it, bringing sex into yep. it, um, porn, especially in the sh like where you're tinging on shame in our culture, tinging on, on education, which is a big issue. Um, there was there's a Netflix movie two or three years ago. It was about um, a girls that dance, and it was a fe Asian female director, and she's got slammed for for this sexualized depiction of young girls, especially. Oh by yeah. Mm -hmm forget the name of it right now yeah i forget it too yeah but all she was doing she wasn't trying to over sexualize them she was just trying to give an accurate picture of what people were actually going through after yeah. interviewing thousands of girls mm -hmm. i watched and it so, yeah it was a very real depiction yeah and and it wasn't it wasn't anything that we don't see often of especially kids that don't have structure don't have discipline, don't have a support network around them. Um, so like the people that would engage with this curriculum um, aren't having the conversations around the dinner table, which 
I think is more than not. And it's not just kids that, that their parents aren't there. It's kids that parents don't have the tools to talk to them about much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I'd also say that, that this is a privileged conversation uh, because complaining about your public school system and being so angry about what they teach your children and thinking you could do something about it is a very privileged position. And that means you have time to run for the school board. That means you have time to show up to meetings. That means you have time to have influence. Mm -hmm. If I was impoverished and I worked, you know, if I was a single uh, mom of color that I worked three jobs and I was trying to just barely make it and, you know, where's dad, who knows? And I just was kind of left to fend for myself in the system that was provided for me. I would probably come at this and say, well, it's better than no education and I can work out those details later. Um, so mm-hmm. I think in our in our white privileged situation, since all three of us are white and privileged, I think that that is a factor to this as well that can't be ignored. Yeah. yeah. So what do you do? My question, especially going back to to values, is and in this it 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 i don't know if it hinges on values or ver- our passions that that sex education and not having it the same way as you want it to be it's like if you'd want that go ahead and teach that to your to your kids mm-hmm. okay but if that's a passion, not a virtue or a value. All right. Yeah. That doesn't tinge on would... anyone's virtues or values. That only tinges on their, their passions. And I think that's why the debate is so hot is because it, it hits passion and people don't know how to argue about values and virtues because then they would actually have to be changed and malleable. Hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. So I value education. I value teachers. I value teachers' education, their education, their higher education. I value that. So I value higher education. I mean, I I kind of have to. I have doctor in front of my name. So I value my own higher education. Uh, so I value education. So I need to look beyond the title. I also value data, statistics, and real information, true, uh, uh, responsible information. And what I know about sex is abstinence is the safe and healthiest choice. I know that. My wife taught sex education and abstinence in the schools for years. And abstinence is the safe, still today, the safe and healthiest choice uh, for things like unwanted pregnancies, things like STDs, and, and, and curable and 
and lifelong STIs. So, so we know that that is true, but the reality is there's a reality that our young people and adults are not exercising abstinence. So I need to look at what this safe and healthiest choice in the context of culture is. And if I don't, just talking about the STD pamphlet, if I don't start thinking reasonably and responsibly within culture, what do I become? I become completely irrelevant. If I don't want to talk about these things, I'm ignoring it. And what happens when we ignore it? It's an apathetic attitude that Jesus told us not to have. Or so we're not to have negligent. an apathetic. It's yeah, totally negligent. So I like would the, say the article of not the 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 debate of do you give your children the HPV shot? Because oh, I, the, yeah. And the one the one side was if you give it to them, they'll be more apt just to have sex. They'll think they're more bulletproof. No, that's not. That's not a uh, a logical outcome of that question. Mm -hmm. It's I I did I did say yes. It took me a couple weeks, but I had to process through that HPV shot for my for my daughter, and I had to think through this: what would happen if somebody molested her? And then I I made the choice because I was so afraid of my daughter's promiscuity and it was going to, you know, hand her an HPV shot and she's going to sleep with everybody. Uh, if I had that attitude, I wouldn't have, that's not protective. That's not par parental. That's almost abuse. When I think about the neglect of a child and not making the safest and healthiest choice always for my child and having a little data forethought, driven. not being afraid, huh? Data driven. Data driven. Then I, then I don't know. I don't know what I am at that point. Apathetic. I, my worldview has just, you know, crushed certain love it, terminal it, values. It'd be yeah. ignorance. Right. Because ignorance is the unwillingness to know. Right. Right. So as I in, encourage my friends and I want to encourage everybody on this podcast is uh, we need to value communication, value early communication about things. And we need to pull our heads out of the sand. Can I say the sand? We need to pull our heads out of the sand as Christians and start addressing issues, not being afraid to talk about them, addressing them responsibly. And honestly, okay, you don't want the schools to teach your kids. Are you going to teach your kids? Mm -hmm. And and that's the question that Jake, I think, brought up is we're so afraid to talk about, you know, the icky subjects and we're afraid mm -hmm. to use the word penis and vagina that we, you know, call it Pepe and, you know, whatever we're going to say. And we kind of, you know, are so immature certain things that we end up not talking about them and we end up not being responsible people. Yep. Mm. So, so our values drive our decision-making. They drive it.
and sometimes right into the ground that we put people at risk and we're really irresponsible. Okay. Well, that was my thing. Let's talk about your things. Um, Sheree, you want to go first or Jake, yeah. you want to go first? Either way is fine with me. Sheree, you're going to go either way? Okay. So, Sheree, why don't you go first? Yep. Okay. So, the question is, is violence necessary for a civilized society? Well... Here's where I'm struggling. I don't think violence ought to be necessary for a civilized society. And I do think that violence is necessary for the society that we live in. Um, it's just that that violence gets obscured and passed on to the marginalized, um, passed on to those in poverty, um, in countries, in other places that have a lot of natural resources that we just want to exploit so that we can maintain our standard of living. So mm -hmm. if we're going to continue things the way they are, then it is necessary. Um, and that's gross. Right. Okay. So when, tell me when, when do you believe violence is necessary? Oh. If it's if it's necessary in certain right. things, not to not to find this little vibration chromium thing for my iPhone or whatever that that thing that's going around on the memes, um, mm -hmm. or my chocolate or my sugar, right? My conflict chocolate and my conflict diamonds yeah. or whatever. So so when is violence necessary? I think Jesus would say it's not. Hmm. Um, I think in the example with Jesus, um, we see Jesus um, telling people to go the extra mile when a soldier tells you to carry their stuff. Uh, we see Jesus saying to turn the other cheek when someone hits you. We see Jesus resisting violence. Um, I was even thinking about um, the temptation of Jesus. So Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days. He's very, very hungry because he hasn't eaten for 40 days. And he is tempted to turn the stones into bread so that you have something to eat. Um, and I think choosing to do that is an orientation of having power over um, mm -hmm. and just being able to alter reality to your whim, mm -hmm. um, which is a violent orientation and that's not what right. jesus chose um instead jesus died at the hands of a violent emperor empire emperor empire um instead of fighting back mm -hmm. i i agree that violence is not necessary but and and a but to play devil's advocate for a moment i lost kevin perhaps uh when jesus says if you don't have a sword sell mm -hmm. your outer drink and go buy a sword what mm -hmm. do you do with that 
Um, get get me caught up. I lost connection there and I needed to reconnect. So get me caught up there. What did you say, Jake? I said, I agree with the thought that violence is not necessary for civilization. Um, yet we have, we have some things that we have to account for. And one of those is Jesus saying, if anyone doesn't have a sword, he should sell his tunic and go and buy a sword. Um, so I have a couple of thoughts. One, one is just a text-based question. Um, if you wouldn't mind looking up where that verse is, is it, is Jesus saying, okay, all 12 of y'all or however many are there, all of you need to go get a sword. Or is Jesus telling one person, go get a sword. That was in the, the sending of the 72. Oh, that's a lot of people, huh? That's a lot of swords. <laughs> it's, an, it's an army. <laughs> Interesting. Huh. Just to play, um, like, I... Yeah. Because I've, I don't know that this is what I think, but I've heard an interesting explanation of that verse. Um, but that's assuming that there's only a few swords and not 72. Yeah, I had to, like, dig into it, but I'm pretty sure... I'm pretty sure it's in the sending of the 72. Okay. So I thought it was right about as Jesus was going to be arrested. So with, with a civilized society, you mm -hmm. have, you have a police department or community of police officers that their job is to, now, this is where the thin blue line actually uh, has modified into. It's not a, it's actually not a modern political, it is a modern political idea. But, uh, but the thin blue line was the line that the police officer could stand in to bring order to somebody's chaos. And so their job is to bring order to chaos. So as, as chaos happens, a police officer could exercise a sense of violence, like bringing control, arresting, even shooting, um, to the chaos to bring order back to the chaos. Uh, I know there's different versions of the thin blue line. I don't want to get hung up on that. But a police officer in a civilized society can exercise a form of violence to bring order. That is... Uh, is that what you're saying? That in our civilized society, in the society in which we live, that's the forms of violence that somebody can take? Uh, are we, are we talking about what happens or what we think should happen? Well, you have what you think should happen. Yeah. But it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the thing. Well, I, I want our kids to choose abstinence as the safe and healthiest choice, but that's not going to happen. So what is going to happen? What is happening? Mm -hmm. And what is the tool in which? we are to exercise to bring order to someone's chaos. 
I think it would be accurate to say that police do use forms of violence to enforce order. Does that answer your question? Well, is that what you're saying is okay? I don't think so. <laughs> well, I said, is violence net? Okay, is that what's necessary? Let me go back to the question. Is that the form of violence that's necessary for a civilized society? Because you said in some cases, yes. I think to keep things running the same that they are, that is how the system okay. works. Right. Okay. That's a nuance of difference. Just a little bit. Yeah. So like the whole argument of, well, if you ban guns, only the bad people are going to have guns, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they have guns because of a certain level of scarcity. Yeah. Hmm. There's violence acted upon them. And so like in a nonviolent system, the trickle down has to be all the way down or else power is going to be usurped. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Because if everybody's basic needs were met, I think we'd see a huge decrease in violence. Oh, there would only be outliers of mental illness, which would still be a thing. Mm-hmm. But there would be no need to. There would there would be no need to take. But right. the issue is is that. I think if everyone's basic needs were the same and everyone had the same, mm-hmm. that is when that is when you leave the violent system. So like uh, capitalism is a violent system, right? Because it, you have to have one taken from party in order for capitalism to work. So there's mm-hmm. always one party in, in the capitalistic system where, where they're being exploited and we live in a society in a system where we never see those. Yeah. It's very hard to see those. They're a long ways away from us. We're in the globalized economy. And so in order for our society to work, civilized society, yeah, there has to be a check and balance of violence. There so is the second so the second amendment, Jake. Is what? Well, I have the right to bear arms, so and that can't be impeded upon. And I would say that guns symbolize, at least in its image, and what they're what a like handgun or something like that, not not necessarily a hunting rifle, but a handgun or something to defend myself is a symbol of violence. So I'm actually able to own and bear a symbol of violence in my life and so am i allowed that i mean i know the government allows me that but is is that allowed in a loving empathetic honest worldview so i think the most loving empathetic honest worldview comes from when the arabs invaded europe in the years of 700, 7, uh, yeah. 710. Okay. And there was a, there was a pastor. I think he was, uh, he was not Catholic. He was something outside of that. So probably like Moravian or something different. Um, 
And when the Arabs were attacking, he was pleading people to let their arms go down or turn your arm on your brother so that the Arabs can come in. Because mm. how you win people for Jesus is through love, not through violence. So you showed a, a film in one of our gatherings live, and that film was by Brian Zond. And he yeah, was talking was, about, was, yeah. yeah, he was talking about how we're not a Christian community that's trying to change the world. We're a Christian community that's trying to be more like Jesus. And I think that's where we get mixed up a little bit where we mm -hmm. think that we can change the world and turn it all into Christian. And I understand the evangelistic ploy and mission and, and such, but Hubris. yeah, I, I understand that. Uh, and I understand the idea, but in a sense, like I was teaching a group last night that, that there's really nowhere in the Bible that we're supposed to go to people and say, you were lost and you need to be saved. Um, it's an invitation. We're inviting people to Christ so that Christ can save. And the power of the gospel is the power of God who saves. So our invitation to people is an invitation to follow Christ. And as they join the Christian community, uh, and however that happens in whatever theology you believe, so that could be in a process, like my friend Anthony would say, uh, he didn't want to sound that way, but you know, does it happen in a process like process theology? Um, does it happen in a process or does it happen like a, you know, put your hand on the radio instant, I get the Holy Spirit, boom, I'm saved. So, so how does it happen? We'll just leave that up for your own theology. Yet the idea of the invitation to become a part of the Christian community um, so that God can save is a practice we are practicing something and the practice is to be more Christ-like. So the practice in our Christian society is no violence. I think Yet. so. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> um, Yet what? <clears throat> what do you mean? Well, uh, uh, Sharia, what do you mean you think so? You question um, that? I think that sounds most true to me, and it's very hard to live up to. Oh. Because I get fighty sometimes. I didn't say this was easy. I just <laughs> said, said we're talking about it. We're just talking about it. <laughs> I would say there is an exception. Oh, what's the exception? I think that the exception comes when violence is used for the freedom of people. Oh, you, mm. you, 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 you. Gustavo Gutierrez, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. So <laughs> when, when, when violence is used to, to liberate people, is different than keeping power. Hmm. I think when you, I don't, I don't, I don't believe there is such thing as just war theory. Um, mm -hmm. That's the right, idea yeah. that 
some wars are just. There's no such thing as a just war. And we're not the salvation of all of... We as America cannot say that we're the salvation of all humankind and we are the good news for the world. So therefore we're taking out the enemy. Yeah. But what happens when power is tipped the scale so much, the pendulum has to swing so that people can be liberated. Mm. And, and I the think bourgeoisie and the proletariat. I, I, I wasn't going that Marxist. But <laughs> and, um, if you just look at our own history and if you do believe that the civil wars fight fought for a portion of the freedom and emancipation of slaves like that, that would be the most just war that yeah. we had. Um, I don't, I don't believe that it was fully fought for those purposes. But uh, looking at the liberation of South American countries from from dictators, uh, from oppression, from looking at uh, well, if you don't if you don't like it, then just vote differently. That we are in a very privileged system where we yeah. don't have to instill violence upon each other in order to let, get. Let me back. Way. Let me back you up a little bit just to clarify and to affirm what you said that I would say that all wars have never been fought 100% justly. There's not been one war that's been fought 100% justly because we're human and I want to get something out of it too. So I'm going to put my life on the line for an oppressed people. Yes. And I want something in it too. What that is was probably different for many states. Yeah, um, it's it's a it's a quid pro quo the entire time. Right. Right. And so so the idea of, of violence never being utilized I think is is could be short-sighted for if if we're not looking at the world through impoverished eyes. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Um, because sometimes the poor do need to rise up and to take over because they no longer have the option to vote. So there's a certain, for our listeners, there's a certain branch of theology called liberation theology. That's what Jake is alluding to here. It's the study of liberation. And in uh, dualistic societies where you have power authoritarian societies crushing oppressed societies so whether that be like in peru or south america in general or in some of the countries that has happened over the years or and no the united states is not that way right or um well even Nicaragua even i would right say now. i would say some of the civil rights era where yeah you know, there was definitely some liberation theology spoken um, to rise up and <laughs> and uh, come out of oppression. So that's a certain branch of theology that there's room for that um, in specific cases. I would say probably harkens back to stories of exodus and slavery and... Mm -hmm. 
you know, the plagues Outstretched and then calling the upon arm. God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we have some yes. Old Testament biblical basis uh, for it. I think it's funny how we have re-characterized um, Martin Luther King Jr. as non-violent. Mm. And there you can go back and look at political cartoons with him in it and like the streets are burning behind him and just how they <laughs> used to cast him was a violent upriser. And what's funny is no one really wants to talk about why MLK was killed. Um, they just want to talk that he was killed, but he was killed because he believed in the standard everyone got gets paid no matter what and anything extra is just your extra but everyone gets a standard a standard pay but martin luther king did change his philosophy and thinking on that with yeah, violence i mean i've i've read that someplace i'd have to look that up again how he evolved in his thinking of liberation theology too I don't think that he himself was a violent person. No, yeah, no, no, no. I'm not saying he was. It, that's why Malcolm X and no, wasn't no. there a tension there between Malcolm X and MLK where? Yes, the one was definitely a militaristic movement. Right. And one <laughs> was a, dis a movement of dis civil disobedience. But I have and also so heard that the two of that, like, if you see them as two sides of a spectrum towards the end of their lives, they did kind of start merge. to merge a little bit, move closer yeah, to each yeah. other. Well, let's go to our next question, which yeah. is we made it through one question in an hour. Okay. Uh, our question, Jake, this is your question. Thank you, Sharia. That was good thoughts. Great. And... Wow. Hard, hard discussion, hard subject. Yeah. Uh, okay. How far is too far in science? How far is too far in science? And when I wrote that question down, what I was thinking about, what the backdrop of that question is, is stem cell research. Uh, artificial intelligence, um, you know, even what we used to talk in, you know, old school biology classes that I took back in the day is, is how much care or health care is too far. You know, how long should somebody be on, you know, artificial life support, yeah. that kind of stuff. So like how far that's healthcare, but in science, um, cloning, I had a professor tell me once in my biology degree that there will be nothing will ever be able to be cloned. There will be no cloning. It is it is scientifically impossible to clone. And then like, I don't know, like two months later, Dolly, the the sheep, lamb, sheep. the sheep came <clears throat> out, you sheep. know, it's like, wow, she's a lamb, okay. I guess I want some point. lamb. Yeah. <laughs> so so <clears throat> Dolly came out and. It's like, wow, okay, that it just that happened. It happened. So professor was wrong. Um, but is that ethically like some people say we're playing God there? And I value one of my values, 
that is, I would say, an instrumental value is science. I value science. Just like I value health, I value the science of health. I value science in general. That's that's why I am a, well, some people call me a theistic evolutionist. I, I just would say that I subscribe to an evolutionary theory. I believe God did it. Um, maybe you could say orchestrated it. Uh, so some people would say I'm just a theistic evolutionist. Um, I would say that I subscribe to science to the point that I do believe in climate change and I do believe in uh, the human cause of much of climate change. Not all, but much. We definitely contribute to it. Uh, I would subscribe also to what my uncle used to say that, you know, the earth is going to heat up no matter what because we're just going to enter into a new era of, you know, climate, just like the ice age, just like, you know, whatever. So, so I do subscribe to science. I believe that science is valid. Um, it's a value, instrumental value. But Jake, how much science is too far? Can science go too far? I, what you're describing, um, and just to split the terms up a bit, is more technology, not mm. science. And so science is just a tool to measure things. It's just a measuring okay. system. And I'm so, just like, using it in, in terms like people would use really. it. So like, yeah. like stem cell research is a science. Is that too far? Yeah. Yes. So the, it's too far. <laughs> I just, so I just like kind of. It's kind of what? I just kind of was ramrodding you with words there. I caught you <laughs> saying good. yes at the wrong time. <laughs> okay. The, uh, and so like we do, we do couple like all science with like technological advancements and the science is like the studying of and the measuring of and going through that. Um, and that has led to huge advancements in technology. It's like Dolly was a huge technology, tech, technological advancement. And so, um, in frozen Two, Olaf, the snowman likes warm that. hugs. Likes warm hugs. I haven't seen this. Are you going to spoil the movie? <laughs> no, I won't. Yes. So that technology is both our impending doom and our salvation. And so advancement technology is both our impending doom and salvation. And so the snowman says this. Every technological advancement has made our lives easier. The fact that we are even online right now talking oh, has yeah. made our life majorly easier. Some the, people say it makes our lives hell, but... Stem cell research can kill, can kill, can kill, can cure cancers and is the first AIDS patient has been cured now to the second, third, fourth. Um, COVID I, think it's not, I think it's only two, two or three. I'm just like on to the next ones, right? Oh, oh, I see. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how many there are, but the, the idea that can it go too far is... I think the same question about violence mm -hmm. is what, what are you doing with it and who's using this? Are you using the advancement technology to drop an A-bomb 
which really some huge studies came out of that and have changed changed medicine changed the mm -hmm. world that as we know it it killed tens of thousands of people like that wasn't worth it so it it's this two-sided ugly coin of and we can even talk i think we'll talk about privacy soon too we're that, that's not we're never there we're never gonna get there <laughs> but the the ability to connect with people online but also the opposite of that coin is that you have lost you've lost privacy in some ways right you've lost your basically your autonomy if you think about it too far hmm. and so you so what are you doing with it who's doing with it who has the power over it um technology has has made people insanely rich faster than than ever in history mm -hmm. i think that the industrial revolution was probably the worst thing to happen to this planet ever destroyed it well let me back you up there because i i you're saying things that i'm just like uh. so i i'm old enough to remember certain things i don't remember i i remember using a calculator jake so do I. I, I, just, I know. <laughs> I know. I I'm just kidding. Um, I, I, re I remember. I remember when we weren't allowed to use calculators in school. Um, you so you just basically, when you said nuclear science has killed tons of people through the invention of a nuclear warhead, and potentially we're going to see that again. That's the threat right now. So we have nuclear warhead. Through nuclear science, um, you know, you see, what is it, Seven Mile Island, Three Mile Island, that uh, the meltdown of Three Mile Island with nuclear science mm -hmm. that, you know, literally almost destroyed a whole town, possibly has, because people report all kinds of diseases and cancers yes, there. That's just, yeah. So to get better calculators, that's basically what you told me that our yeah. that our nuclear <laughs> science got us better technology and advancement so is that worth it personally i i am not no it's not worth it i don't think any technology is worth it but our lives are easier people are around today especially people with disabilities, people with, with health mm -hmm. conditions, people with um, mental disorders, people with all sorts of things are alive and around because of technological advancements that even 10 years ago, five years ago, they wouldn't be. Like medicine happens in so fast that, that we've changed. And so like you can't pick and choose technology technological advancements based upon you have to say all of technology what feels weird to me is that especially in tech is that we're building things that can never be touched like there's what? value given bitcoin oh oh kind of imaginary like, objects 
or like um or like games right just like uh mpgs or video games or things well let's talk about let's talk about bitcoin for a minute i mean is that ethical i mean we just create a imaginary fake money that people put value to and then that changes our economy i mean that's isn't that what all money is i was gonna say that's what money is (laughs) yeah but like like yeah yeah that's true yeah but like does anybody can do that now that we can just invent a new form of money and put that out on the market and well, not, this, not quite how it, that's pretty oversimplified, but. Well, sure, but um, for the oversimplified about, people. <laughs> think about how money itself originated, right? Why? I mean, I guess it would just be out of the barter system or a replacement to the barter system. But it was a way to calculate wealth of, of lords and kings. Okay. And so that it was a it was a a uh, comparison system. So, so let's like, go back let's go back though. Let's not get hung up on that cuz I there is though you're talking about technology. And I understand that there is technology in science. But there's certain forms of science especially medical science that begins to cross into a supernatural like has always been thought to be a supernatural um, guarded space yeah like stem cell research okay that's I can talk about this or, or, or prolonging death. Yeah. Or causing death. Euthanasia. Yeah. So three pills and you're done in Oregon, right? We, especially in the Christian worldview, we like to put God into gaps. It's called the God of gaps. Mm. When we don't understand something and when, and when it's outside of our current uses of measuring or scientific data or empiricism of what we can taste, tell, taste, touch, smell, I combined all those words together. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so like you, you can't use your empirical, empirical body to, to measure or experience. Okay. Uh, we put God in that gap, right? Um, so that's why that's why the sun to Copernicus used to travel around the earth. Mm. And then we found out it didn't. And that crushed our worldview because this, the world had to be the center of the universe, earth. Mm. Or uh, William of Ockham is actually the one that really destroyed this worldview. And uh, we used to have a very uh, mystical worldview of how things happened and events that took place. Mm -hmm. Um, That a rock rolls down a hill and you have either an angel or a demon pushing that rock up there. Where we put God up there, the deity, 
but instead what William O. Occam said or Occam's razor is that the easiest answer is probably the answer. So it probably just rolled down the hill and had unstable soil. <laughs> right. And so we, we are talking about things that we had God in the gap of, like we believe that stem cells are where life happens. It's that mystical goo of life where in 10 years, we may think of something that's completely different than that mystical goo of life. That's actually bone marrow, you know, like bone marrow acts actually where your DNA is made up. And if, and if you want to cure cancer or even AIDS right now is a complete bone marrow transfer, right? Well, it's the, it, that was, a, oh, to, a yeah. Yeah. So sure. it's like, Let's clarify somebody that the way that I understand the research is somebody had a form of cancer, let's say leukemia. They also yeah, were HIV positive. And so in that form of cancer, they basically, you know, take you down to nothing. Let's just oversimplify it there where you're not producing cells and then they restart your body with stem cells. And when they did that, they then tested HIV negative. So the cure for cancer, excuse me, the cure for AIDS was more, um, they went through this treatment of cancer. The way that I understand the research, I just did a quick read um, yeah, was, on that. It was multiple things at the same time. Right. So, so yeah, the whole idea of stem cells uh, you know, the whole idea of using, you know, fetuses and such for research. Where do those fetuses come from? Yeah, I mean, um, crosses. Have, that all ethics, like how, how, right. how do they come about? Right. And that's you doing your due diligence of making sure that those are come by for ethical standards. Like the Beagles right. in Virginia, right? Who wants to who wants to operate on beagles? They're the cutest little puppies, and they're out there just being like cut apart. Mm. And so things are done unethically or un, unrighteously, right? And do the do the does the the end justify the means? That's that's the hardship. Well, that's what I was saying. The nuclear warhead, the development of the nuclear science yeah. that developed the warhead so we could get better calculators in the end. That, that actually... See, my answer to this question would be how far is too far in science? Never. Yeah. I think that science in the purity of its discipline should be allowed to go as far as science wants to go. The problem that we have is the problem that we have is what we do with the results. Yeah. And what we do with the concept or the development or the invention or we can use that for righteousness or for hell and for evil. So so my answer to is is there too far Mm, I I think that any discipline to say that a discipline can needs to be hindered. I think we need to be hindered. 
more than the so discipline. So that's the whole, but like, I hear what you're saying. That is the entire argument, though, of of people being able to own any weapon that they want. Because we're talking about the same thing, right? We're talking about technological advancements. And so, and how you and use so it. Munici- munitions and guns and all these things, yeah. um, so it's, it's a science. And so... Look what happened to Remington. I mean... Yeah, she went crazy. Right. But yeah, I, I, th- I think that there's... I get what you're saying. And... I, I just don't believe that people need to own the technology as far as they want. Just because the science says it can go this far doesn't mean that we need to own that far. And so like that, my answer to that, I don't believe so either. And my answer to that is more the U.S. government's technology, technological advancements or any large major world power, their advancements far outweigh any person trying to have by the second amendment a well-established militia right it's not it's not owning guns for owning guns sake or going out and shooting it's it's for the purpose Mm -hmm. of staying up against tyranny and what we Mm -hmm. talked about with sharia was that my, my idea with violence is that when it comes to the freedom of people that is when violence could be could be necessary. And so you really came full right. circle there. Wow. Full, full circle. circle. <laughs> it was stunning. Stunning. <laughs> I'm just in shock. Um okay, I yeah, I get that. I I think that again, I'll go back to your God in the gaps. I think yeah, that it's we, all about the God in the gaps. Yeah. We're really addicted to that. We're very addicted to it. Like we My think that God has been fought for so long. Oh, you know, it's like, geez, but like quantum uh, physics, quantum physics is one of those sciences that I don't even think a quantum physicist knows quantum physics, but, but quantum physics is one of those sciences that we put God in all of those gaps. So now at the very smallest level, we're going to, we're going to try to find, we even call it the God particle where we're going to find the God particle uh, in this physics study. And, you know, we're going to have, you know, the, 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 um, the, rea- the, um, the tunnels that they, tr- they crash the atoms. Um, the particle uh, hydron, part of part hadron particle. Cr- uh, yeah. Tunnel. Hadron. Yeah. So, so we're going to try to find the God. Part- I mean, we even had the Da Vinci code talking about that, didn't we? And some, like series of Da Vinci Code series or whatever, you know, they were finding the God particle they had in this tube. It was a whole sensational movie idea. Well, honestly, that's in certain sciences, we're, we're addicted to putting God in that. And when we discover that, you know, that's, you know, you're going to take my Jesus away or something. Um, so we do that with science because uh, we're afraid. The question is, it, when does science go too far? I think that that's different for everybody because it depends on when you think science takes your Jesus away. Yes. And I'll say, and, but most, (laughs) most scientific advancements 
have been funded and researched and are usually either monks or priests that come up with those psychological and those technological advancements in the in the in, in the old days the day, in the old days yeah and so like yeah so the church used to be very keen on understanding the world more because it showed them god more mm. but now we and we haven't we haven't got to truth yet and i don't know if we ever will because we might be on this subject for <laughs> no no we're we're moving that days. direction yeah next week but yeah and so the idea that truth is deregulated um has made us really clamor to put god back into god's box okay good do we have a question mm-hmm. would you be willing to get rid of all you can throw out there rob this is your question would you be willing to get rid of all the the tech and modern science in the world including all electricity if it meant bettering the lives of the people in the world astronomically mm. yes of course yeah mm-hmm I would hope we get a chance to transition because that's going to be a rough one. <laughs> I Well, on, honestly, the world just, let's look at climate change and climate science. When COVID shut the world down, I mean, look at what we saw. The Ganges. I mean, look at what mm -hmm. we saw in the, just the aerial photographs of the planet and how like pollution Jeez. started to decrease and, and different things like actually we saw healing and so yeah. i think that River i would say came back to venice right so so at what point is science too far i would say at what point does humans use science too far or technology too far and that's when we are destroying each other that's when we're killing each other we're going against what jesus would would want us to be in this christian society in this christian community Hmm. That's those are heavy subjects. We don't have time for our last question. Our bon we had a bonus question that we just don't have time for. So tonight we answered or no, we didn't. No, we didn't. mused. We mused questions, <laughs> massaged them around a little bit. Um, hopefully you can take some of our words and apply it to your own set of values and do a value free clarification when it comes to maybe some things like science or maybe some things like porn literacy. When you read such things like that, maybe you can have more of a responsible response. And when it comes to the subject of violence, our values are developed through our experiences, our cultural experiences, our past experiences, our present experiences, but also our family and our religious institutions that we socialize with and our friends. They all develop our values. Our values are the building blocks, some of the building blocks to our worldview. And our worldview needs to be pointed towards love, compassion, and honesty. And so if we can use... Uh, a set of values to point us that direction. That's what Jesus wants us to do and how he wants us to behave um, in this world. All right. Thanks, you two.
Jake and Sheree, appreciate your knowledge and your willingness to be here. That concludes this segment of values and answers to our ethical questions, a Jesus worldview, how to develop something that's compassionate, honest, empathetic, and more honest. Thanks for joining us tonight. Take care, everybody.